so honored that you have joined us online as we gather together in different locations. Uh, my name is Josh and I have the incredible privilege of being the lead pastor of Authentic Church. I, I really can't overemphasize how proud I am to lead this church as we step into the unknown with confidence. Okay, so maybe I'm, I'm a little weird, but uh, I know I'm not alone in this. When I hear a quote from a song, I, I feel like I immediately have to begin singing that song. Even if I, I know, only know one or two lines of the song. Here's the thing, though. Whatever song you start singing, it immediately identifies where you are in life. Uh, for me, that's as a dad of four, and two of them are my beautiful girls. So when I hear Into the Unknown, it's immediately Into the Unknown, Into the Unknown, Into the Unknown. Okay, okay, that's enough. Um, that's right, Elsa. Elsa from Frozen Tune. Oh! The lyrics of the song, you'll sing that for the rest of the day. The lyrics of that song go, I'm sorry, secret siren, but I'm blocking out your calls. I've had my adventure. I don't need something new. I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the unknown. The unknown is not something that, that Elsa alone fears. We, we all fear it. I, I remember going into middle school. Uh, going from elementary to middle school, I, I remember walking up the steps of Weldy Middle School with, with anxiety. You remember uh, college. I, I remember walking into that dorm and taking a whiff, uh, that musty skunk odor that, that, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, the anticipation of the unknown. Getting married and having kids, I thought I knew what I was getting myself into. Turns out, <laughs> I didn't have a clue. Launching Authentic Church, I was so afraid of what I was risking. Uh, trying to figure out how to do church online. Walking into the unknown is full of fear, and right now we live in a place of constant unknowns. For most of us, we didn't see us facing these circumstances just a few weeks ago. We had plans to spend Easter with family, an itinerary for a spring break. We thought we would be at the park, <laughs> shivering our way through the first weeks of baseball or patiently waiting for the next track event to start. But everything changed quickly with a few orders. We are forced to wonder, what's next? Will my job be there when this is all over? Will my, will my GPA be destroyed because I couldn't go to class? Will my business make it through this transition? There have been other conversations in our lives that have sent us whirling through a new door unexpectedly. Comments like, your position has been eliminated. Or, I don't love you anymore. How about the, the comment, the, the, the sentence that says, the tumor is malignant. Mom, dad, I'm pregnant. I'm having second thoughts about the wedding. Dad, um, I'm at the police station. <laughs> or your mother and I are getting divorced. Or maybe it was, we're moving. Some of us have gotten the phone call. We think mom's had a stroke and... How soon can you get to the hospital? With one sentence, we are ripped from normality and we find ourselves in a new world with 
a simple twist of the knob or the slightest push on the door, we find ourselves walking through the doorway of the unemployed. We're now standing in the corridor of the suddenly single, walking into the room of the grieving. Learning the new language of chemotherapy, crossing the threshold of the intensive care unit. In the midst of our worlds being rocked, there are are moments when we feel confident, full of faith, and we know that we are going to get through this and figure out what this new normal is. The fear that we feel standing in the doorway of the transition is real, though. It's a passageway between what we knew and what what we had become comfortable with to the awkwardness of the unknown. Sometimes we're thrust through the doorway, but there are times that we experience a gradual, subtle entry, the slow climb of debt matched with the dissolving savings account that eventually leads to bankruptcy. A marriage that suffers slow, constant erosion over years before ending in divorce. The heart of a teenager drifts away slowly away from their parents and from God. Payroll is cut, assets are sold off, and The company is on the brink of shutting down. A parent experiences gradual memory loss, and with it, their independence fades little by little. It doesn't matter how we've walked through this doorway. What lies on the other side of the door looks nothing like what we're accustomed to. As we cross the threshold, it is vital that we recognize it is not just the simple, just the hardship that will change us. More importantly, Our reaction to the hardship is what will either destroy us or build us. With each transition we experience, our responses reveal the person we are and determines who we're going to become. Whether we're growing in grace or becoming bitter is determined by our response to disappointment and the habits of that response that we'll we'll create because of this response. This series is all about understanding that God can take you through any doorway, any circumstance, any difficulty, and produce in you a greater strength and develop your gifts. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. James Chapter 1, he begins his book with giving these promises in this. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, for when you counter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James isn't expecting us to throw a party as we walk through the most difficult times in our lives. What he wants us to grasp is that we can trust that God will transform us through it. On the other side of the door, God can make us stronger in our faith. In the unknown, whether it is a calling from God, self-imposed struggle due to our own mistakes and failures, or forced upon us by some unseen enemy, James proclaims that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, They will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's James chapter 1, verse 12. James doesn't use the word for a crown, one that a single ruler would wear, but instead he's referencing a laurel wreath. These are awarded to victors of both athletic competitions, including the Olympics, and and military victories. 
This crown of life uh, of, that he has mentioned is the crown of victory. That's right, victory. These promises of victory are all throughout the scripture. Paul ends his prayer for the church in Ephesus like this. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or even think. Now it's perfectly normal to have a level of disbelief, to be skeptical. We, we don't want to believe the unbelievable because of our past experiences have proven that it's, well, unbelievable. So when someone tells us that we could have access to an even better life than the one we have imagined ourselves, that we have the potential to walk out an amazing purpose, that our future could be above and beyond all that we could ask or even think, it's natural to lower our expectations. Even when these promises come from the Word of God. Something inside of all of us hears these words and immediately we think that we've been put on an episode of Fameless. You remember the David Spade show where he would take wannabes and let them think that they were making it big and then he'd crush their ridiculous dreams? Yeah. We remember the times when we failed, the things we've tried and blundered. We, we recall our disappointments. We, ref, we fear that we could be part of some spiritual prank. Maybe God is just setting up some elaborate, fameless episode, and we're going to be the butt of the joke. Does God really have something more for me? Will I get to the other side of this transition and, and find victory? Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Allow me to modify that slightly. The only way to find victory in the future is to step into the unknown. Today, we do something that our future selves will thank us for. Tomorrowland starts today. So many of us can't see the God-given potential in ourselves. For some of us, we feel stuck because of our current circumstances. We can't do anything about it. For others, it's because we failed in the past, and we're living a broken dream. Sometimes it's because of outside forces, a, a broken relationship, a, a negative work environment. We've allowed them to define us and define our value. Let's talk about someone who was in a similar circumstance in the Word of God. In Judges chapter 6, the Israelites have found themselves in a terrible position. In chapter 6, verse 2, it says, The Midianites were so cruel to the Israelites, the Israelites made a hiding place for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. They were forced into quarantine. <laughs> Whenever the Israelites planted crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel had, was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites called, cried out to the Lord for help. Isn't it interesting? How long we'll go through difficult circumstances before we'll cry out to God for help? Here they are, hiding in caves, scared to come out for the fear of their, their life. Everything that they have worked, their, worked so hard for is being taken from them. The book of Judges tells us that God sends them a prophet to let them know that they shouldn't fear, 
that he is the God that delivered them from Egypt and he will deliver them again. In verse 11, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Orpha, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat on the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Notice that the angel calls Gideon a mighty hero. One translation calls him a valiant warrior. How, how impressive is that? Except he's not acting anything like a mighty warrior. He, he, he's not even acting like a mini warrior. This is where the value of studying the word of God in context is so valuable. It says that he's threshing wheat. Now, to thresh wheat properly, you need wind to carry the, ch- uh, the chaff away. Here's the problem. Gideon is in the bottom of a wine press, most likely in a cave. He's, his hiding place not only keeps the enemy away, it keeps the wind away. What is even more bizarre about this situation is that as you read the full account, you find out in verse 37 of this chapter that he has a threshing floor available to him. What kind of warrior hides in a cave? Now, the first thing that you need to understand about stepping into the unknown is that it's not unknown to God. Let me, let me say that again. Your unknown is not unknown to God. The angel of the Lord knew who Gideon was going to be. Who, you may not fully understand what you're capable of, but God knows. He knows what he created you to be. Just as he was able to call Gideon through the door of the unknown and into the, his future victory, God wants to do the same thing with you. If you believe in a great God, then you also have to believe in the greatness of the one he created. Yeah, you. He designed you in your mother's womb. Paul says that we are his masterpiece. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Peter tells us that he has gifted you and he has called you, 1 Peter 4, 10. The first thing that Gideon does, though, is he begins to question his circumstances. If God is for us, then how can, how can we be in this position? The angel does not even acknowledge these comments. He simply says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. You see, for God, the circumstance is not the focus. What happens in you as a result of the circumstance is what God is concerned with. Once again, Gideon starts giving excuses of why he can't take the step into the unknown. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. If, you are, if your own failures are distracting you from stepping into your victory, you need to be reminded of what you have going for you. This is what the Lord says to Gideon, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon is still not fully convinced and asks God for a sign. Gideon prepares an extremely large meal. He presents it to the angel of God. The angel touches the meal with his staff and fire comes from the rock that it was sitting on and consumes it completely. This is enough evidence for Gideon to realize that he has been debating with an angel of the Lord. And after a full panic attack, the angel of the Lord tells him not to fear that he needs to go and tear down his father's idols to false gods. Gideon marches into the middle of the night and tears down the altar of Baal and, and builds a new one to God and sacrifices one of his father's bulls on it. 
But the writer of Judges is sure to add the point that he did all this at night because he was afraid of how his family would react. The next morning, the people in the, the town wanted to execute Gideon for tearing down the altars of a false god. I guess he had reason to be afraid. But his father steps in and says that if the god Baal wants to take revenge, then the Baal should do it himself. He is a god. We don't know how much time passes, but the writer of Judges immediately transitions, in, uh, transitions to the Midianites and the Amalekites coming in to take the produce of the Israelites. And this time, Judges records it differently. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abizar came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Nephtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. After all the, the warriors show up, Gideon gets a little nervous about getting into battle. Once again, the fear of the unknown paralyzes him. He says to God in verse 36, If you are truly going to use me to rescue uh, Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet and with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the, a whole bowlful of water. Now, let's just be reminded, or remind ourselves what God has done so far to bolster Gideon's confidence to walk through the doorway of the unknown. He's consumed a meal with a touch of his staff. An army of 32,000 warriors has shown up, and Gideon asks for a very specific sign, and God meets it. But Gideon still has some reservations about fighting an army they have never been able to defeat. So he asks for one more confirmation. He says, uh, then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. As you step over the threshold into the unknown, you need to remember that God is with you. He's in your corner. He's rooting for you. He will sustain you. Hebrews 13.5 says, He himself has said, I will never desert you, and nor will I ever forsake you. Someone needs to hear that right now. God is with you. So Gideon is ready. He has his army he has a, a, a multiple confirmations from God that, he, that God's going to be with them. And then God has Gideon put the warriors through a series of tests to send those that do, and sends those that do not meet the expectations home. By the end of it, Gideon goes from an army of 32,000 to a mere 300. That night, God comes to Gideon and says to him, If you are afraid uh, to go against the enemy with 300 men that I left you with, uh, go ahead down to the edge of the, uh, the enemy's camp. Now, knowing Gideon's track record, this is more or less a redundant question. Of course he's afraid. Of course he needs encouragement. Every step into the future, we will require a reassuring from God, and that's okay. He goes down, and 
here's one of the soldiers telling another one his dream of how God, of the God of Gideon has already given him victory. You need to understand this. If you get nothing else from this message, hear this. Your enemy already knows you have the victory. You, my friend, are already wearing the victor's wreath. You see, victory comes when you replace your plan with God's plan. As great as your plan may be, you can trust God that his is a better one. But receiving his great plan starts with surrendering ours. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Surrender has, a, the, it has connected with it defeat, but it really is an exchange. He's exchanging your plan for God's plan, and his plan produces victory. See, your unknown is not unknown to God. God is with you and will be with you in the unknown. Every step into the unknown is going to have its dependency on God, and victory is in God's plan, not ours. Last week, we celebrated the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we saw him walking out God's plan when he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, but he defeated death and hell and he, when he stepped out of that grave. And his victory is our victory. Your first step today needs to be accepting his gift of victory. I want to encourage you to pray with me this prayer of commitment. For some of you, this will be taking your first step into your victory. There will be many more steps that God will call you to and take with you. There are others of you that have stepped into the victory that Jesus has for you. But for one reason or another, you have found yourself paralyzed in fear of your next step. Will you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, your victory is my victory. Thank you for the gift of salvation that comes only from you. Today, we make the decision to turn from our own plan and trust your plan. We, we make the, you the Lord of our lives. Give us the boldness to take our next step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As our worship team leads us into worship, I want you to allow the Spirit of God to walk with you through the door of the unknown. Ask Him for the confidence and boldness you need.